Good morning, my name's Tim. Uh, we, as you've just heard, are going to be starting our new series um, in the book of 1 Peter, which is going to take us through kind of to next summer, taking our time, going through it, I guess not literally verse by verse, but in some detail. Um, if you want to turn there in your Bible, if you've got one with you, that'll probably help you. Uh, if you're not sure where to find it, 1 Peter is towards the end of the Bible, just after James, um, just for 2 Peter. So if you find either of them, just between. Um, But why are we doing this? Why are we looking at 1 Peter? Well, if you're part of Grace Church, you'll know that in many ways we've we've had a difficult year. And yeah, okay, we're going again now. We're we're standing up, we're following Jesus. But but we thought it would be really, really helpful to take our time looking at what does the Bible say about who we are before God, each of us individually. And then what does the Bible say about who we are together (laughs) as the church before God? And... Once we've got our heads around that, how then should we live? How does that change how we should act? What should that look like as we live in this city and try and follow Jesus? And that is lots of what 1 Peter does. Um, Talks about who we are and therefore what we should do. So we're going to look today just at the the first couple of verses as Peter sort of introduces himself and the letter, um, which, as it turns out, I think kind of sums up everything that he wants to do. Uh, So it serves quite well as a nice introduction to us. So I'm going to read um, 1 Peter chapter 1, just the first two verses. So he starts, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's just introducing himself at the start. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this is kind of Peter saying hello. He's writing a letter to um, a group of people who were uh, Gentiles. So they're not, they're not Jews. They're not like Peter's a Jew. He's part of the, the original people of God from the Old Testament. The people he's writing to aren't. They live in those names, those places that are a part of Turkey or what is now Turkey. It's so a kind of north and eastern Turkey. Um, and largely rural areas, quite a lot of small groups of people spread throughout. And there would be people who were there for numerous reasons. Most of the Christians he's writing to wouldn't be natives. They weren't originally there. They've moved. Some of them just moved because people move, I guess. Some of them will have come in with the Roman army and then settled. Quite a number of them are Christians from Rome who've been expelled by the Roman emperor. So they faced some sort of persecution, and then the Roman emperor told all the Christians in Rome to leave. And quite a number of them ended up in these rural areas uh, in what we now know as Turkey, and Peter's writing to them. And they're facing there sort of, I guess what you might call social persecution, kind of low level. No one's trying to beat them up or kill them. Um, but they are finding that people won't use their businesses because they're Christians, that their neighbours are unkind to them, that there's malicious gossip about them in the communities that they live in, um, that they're maybe facing unfair legal judgments, that they're being ostracised by others. And so while that's not... I guess the situation that we find ourselves in, certainly I I find it easier to imagine what that might be like than I do when we read some other parts of the New Testament written to Christians who are facing the proposition of being killed for their faith. Because it's it's not completely unbelievable that we could live in a society where kind of things a little bit like this happens, maybe not quite so much. But he's telling them, his answer to the problems they're facing, they're struggling a bit. You know, they've been going and now things are getting tough. He tells them who they are. 
And then once they've got who they are, he then goes on to tell them how they should live. And how they should live, particularly in relation to the world around them, that is treating them badly. So today, I would like particularly to focus on this slightly strange phrase that he calls them at the start. He says, to those who are elect exiles, which is unusual language. And then as it kind of turns out, everything else he says sort of is expanding on that idea. Um, and really pulling out his underwriting theme of this is who you are, and then as the letter moves on, he gets on to, so therefore, live like this. So firstly, that first one, elect, which is not a bit of a strange word, not the kind, I suppose, that we'd use that often over the language. You could also just call it chosen. So he's saying they are chosen by God. That the situation that they find themselves in is one where... God has picked them out. He has selected them. He has elected them. In fact, in all three stories that we heard earlier, there was, for each person who was baptized, there was a moment when they said, and I started to follow Jesus. And actually what was happening at the same time that they said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to meet him. I want to encounter him. God has chosen them. And that their reality is that just before, well, not literally just before, but before they say, I want to follow him, they discover that actually God has chosen them. And then Peter, he expands on this in, in kind of three ideas. So first he says, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So to put it another way, we are known by the Father so that we can know him. That's what he's saying, that before, actually before God even made you, God knew you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he knew you and he chose you to be with him and to know him. Now, I sometimes think this, this word the Bible uses for it, elect, can, can be a bit confusing for us because it's not a word that we use particularly often. I can't think of any setting that I use it in beyond, I suppose, a kind of political one where maybe there's an election and you're voting for who your MP might be, and you, collectively with the people who live near you, you elect one of them. And the thing about that that I suppose is, is maybe not the most helpful idea for us is whoever wins that election, whoever maybe becomes your local MP or whatever, has had, I don't know, if they do really well, they've had something like 30 or 40% of the people who live there voting for them. And so it's because we just, we, we, the way our system works, we pick the person who had the most votes. So whoever wins, most people didn't vote for. And that can, I think, get into our heads when we think elect, because it's not quite like that with God. He's not sort of looking at all the people and going, I don't know, who's, who's my best pick? Or even a bit like me when I'm in the voting booth. Who is my least worst pick? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you feel the same. I think I always do when I go to vote. It's like, I hate all of these options. Um, I'll pick that one. But hopefully a little bit more thought into it than that. But still, that, that sense of, none of, these are, none of these are great options. And we can feel a bit like God's looked at us and gone, okay, well, I guess, I guess Tim maybe is the least worst option. I suppose I'll have him. And that's actually not what he's done at all. It's not like God's chosen me in a sort of 
30% I think I'll have him kind of way. Instead, what he's done is he's looked at everyone, and he's gone, all of these options are terrible, <laughs> which is true. Um, I'm speaking for myself and you there, but, uh, but I want him, and I want her, and I want them. I said, I choose you, not because of anything that I've done or will do, just because he chose to. Or I am fundamentally unlovely. I think you probably are as well, but I'm comfortable saying it about myself. The Bible tells me that you are. But yet when God chooses me and sets his love upon me, I can become something different. But he chose, he chose me before I was that. Not even kind of looking forward and thinking, oh, they'll become great. He's like, no, he totally knew me and said, I want him anyway. <coughs> so it's not that we're kind of picked 30%. We are fully in. We are all the way in when we're chosen by God. The Bible uses a, a phrase in Christ to describe us, which is saying something sort of similar that actually when I'm chosen by God, I find myself so in that he can say about me that I'm in him. It's like I'm so in, I almost, almost as though I become part of him. He's certainly happy using that language about me. I am as in as I could be. And you know what that means? That means that when I imperfectly follow Jesus, which is the only way I've ever followed Jesus, when it's anyone I know how, I don't know about you, um, when I do things which do not line up with what he commands of me in the Bible, when I sin, when my motives are mixed, which they always are, uh, actually, because he didn't choose me on the basis of what I'm like, but instead chose me because he wanted to, I can't get myself out. So when I do follow him imperfectly, that does not affect his choice of me. It's not like when you elect an MP, they don't do that well. And at the next election, you choose someone else, which is a good idea. But it's not like that. It's not like in four years' time, God's going to turn around and go, I think I'm going to elect someone else this time. You've not done that well with your term. Because it's not about my performance. It's about the fact that he chose to choose me. I can't get myself out of it. It also means that he knows better than me. Which is, when you get your head around it, actually quite encouraging. And he knows what's best for me. And he knows what I'm like. It's a little bit terrifying. He knows what I'm like better than I do. And yet he chose me anyway. And he knows what's good for me. And will order my life so that what's good for me is what comes up so that the purpose that he has for me, that I become like him, is what happens. He knows me. He chose me. And not only did he choose me individually and chose you individually if you follow Jesus, he also chose us corporately as the church. So these couple of verses that I've read are full of language associated with Israel, the people of God from the Old Testament. Words like exile, dispersion, in fact chosen, um, that was sprinkling that we'll come back to in a minute. The people Peter's writing to are not Jewish. They are not part of what would have been Israel in the Old Testament. They're what the Bible calls Gentiles. And yet he is using the language about them of the people of God. He is saying, you are the people of God because you follow Jesus. 
And he continually calls back to that link. In fact, we'll find uh, throughout the pages of this letter as we go through it over the next six months, time and time and time again, he uses this Old Testament language to say, you are the people of God. And what does that mean for us? It means that Grace Church, we are the people of God. If you're following Jesus, you're part of this family together. You are the people of God, which means that we have purpose that he is calling us to something, that he gives us a mission to do together, and that when he does so, we have backing. Because the Most High God stands behind us and says, go do that, oh, and I'll come with you. And so when he calls us to do something, as we follow him, he's actually assuring us that it will happen. He's chosen us. And then Peter moves on. He says, also elect, also chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. So the choice that he makes of us, the choice that the Father makes of us, is made known in what he calls here the sanctification of the Spirit. Or you could, you could use a word like consecration, or setting apart, or declaring holy, or some, any of those things. But essentially putting to one side by the Spirit. So the choice that he makes of us is made known as the Spirit puts us on one side. Think of something you might apply for. Say you apply for a job. You go to the interview. It goes okay, but you're not really sure if you've got it because that's how job interviews are. And you come home and you're waiting probably for a phone call saying either I've got it or I haven't. Um, and say they don't phone that day. Say they don't phone the next day. You're starting to kind of wonder, am I in? Did I get it? You're probably starting to imagine that maybe you didn't because you've not heard, but you've not heard. And it's not until the point that you get the phone call and someone says either you got the job or you didn't that you know if you're in. I think sometimes we can live our Christian lives, we can, we can read, okay, I'm chosen by God, but we can live like, actually, I'm waiting for the phone call. I, I'm waiting for the moment that it becomes clear that he has chosen me, that I have got in. Almost as though the phone call comes, I don't know, on the last day when we see Jesus and he judges the world. And it's like, oh, now I know if I'm in or not. Oh. But what Peter's saying is we're chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. We're chosen in the setting apart of the Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit that we find out if we're in for ourselves. That as we get filled with the Spirit, that we have what we sometimes call assurance, which means a, a sense that I am chosen by God. I know I'm in. I know, as, and it doesn't mean you never doubt, but I know as the Spirit fills me that I am in. Now that itself is not the determiner of whether or not you're in. You're in because you've chosen to follow Jesus and he's chosen you. But it's the way you know you're in. And actually, it's one of the two ways that the rest of us know you're in as well. As you start to exhibit the gifts of the Spirit, we're like, oh, they're in too. Now, without that, doesn't mean you're not in, but it's how we know. The other way, actually, we've just watched. Just you get in the water and get baptized. It's how the rest of us know that you are in. You are part of the people of God. You are called holy. You are set apart for his plan. And then the third thing he says, he says, elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. 
for obedience and sprinkling, which to the people he's writing to would have made them think of uh, chapter 24 of Exodus. So a story where the people of God, they've left Egypt, they're in the desert, they've been given the Ten Commandments by God and told how to live. They've messed up a few times and they are now pledging themselves to follow him, making what the Bible would call a covenant with him. And what they all do individually is they make a pledge, they make a promise and say, I'm going to obey and then they get sprinkled with the blood of an animal, which is to, to represent, I guess, the, the freedom that God gives them to enable them to do what they've just said. The freedom that he gives them to, to enable them to follow that pledge and obey. So it's, again, more Old Testament language this time to the people of Israel. But what Peter's saying to them is that it's the same for them. They are chosen for a purpose, that they would pledge to follow God and that they would then find that through Jesus' blood on the cross, sprinkled on them, they're able, they're given the freedom to do that, to follow him. And again, we've, we've actually seen that acted out this morning. That's what baptism is, I guess, a, a kind of living picture of. A moment when someone says, I pledge to follow him, and then the water represents what is happening as Jesus' blood enables them to do that so we're chosen known by the father then we know by the spirit and then we're chosen for something to follow him obedience is the goal so here's here's my first question for you today do you know that you're chosen by God now if you don't follow Jesus and you'd like to and, to, and then find yourself chosen by God today. You can go talk to Ben in the, in the Find Out More area over there by the red banner at the end of the meeting. He can talk you through that, or others in his team can talk you through that, help you in if you'd like to. If you're already following Jesus and you're not clear that you're chosen by God, then you need the Holy Spirit to come to you, fill your heart with that knowledge. Again, that can happen for you today if you'd like it to. And if you do know you're chosen by God, are you living in the freedom of it? Can you say with tear that Jesus is my life? That I am fully in? Can you say that? And then Peter, so he said you're chosen. And then he uses this, this other term, exiles. Or um, foreigners, I think works quite well. Or uh, literally, I think the best translation for the word would be a word sojourner. That is very old-fashioned and none of us will be familiar with. But essentially means people that are temporarily living in a place that is not the place that they are from. But we'll stick with foreigner. But that's what he's getting at. People who you're living in a land where that is not the place you hold citizenship. Somewhere that is not where you're from. And for those of us, those of you like me, who where this is the land that you are from, you know, that actually can be a hard concept to get around. And those of you who, where this is not the land that you are originally from, will find this a much easier concept, I imagine, to get your head around. You can help the rest of us. But we are fully in with God. We are chosen by God. We're fully in vertically. And what he's saying is, as you're fully in with me, you'll find actually that you're fully out with the world around you. That you're not part of it in the way you might imagine. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? I'm sure everyone has at some point. That kind of dislocation of, I, I don't quite fit here. 
maybe even with conversations with family or with friends or colleagues, and you think, my values are not quite the same. What I'm living for is not quite the same. My purpose is somehow a bit different. My vision for what this city could look like is, is different. And you have a sense of, like, you don't quite fit. A, a, somewhat, a somewhat trite example. Um, we were in Barcelona a few years ago. I speak a smattering of Spanish. Um, I would have claimed I spoke a lot more Spanish than that. Uh, proudly holding my GCSE Spanish and realizing that I don't remember very much of it. But enough, I would have said enough to get by in a restaurant. Um, and we'd arrived, I think it was really the afternoon. We were looking for uh, just something to eat, kind of late lunch. Found ourselves in a cafe. Um, sat down, looked at the menu, me thinking, well, I'm going I'm to be able to do this. I can do, kind of, I can do food, so I, I'll be able to figure out what's what, and I can go probably order something. I can make myself understood in Spanish. Great. Look at the menu. Have a sinking feeling. Because you start to think, I, I, I don't really know what's going on. I don't fit. Why are there all these X's in the words? Because um, menu's in Catalan. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is something I didn't really think about before we went there. Um, and then you try and make yourself understood to the, uh, the person who owned the cafe. Um, and they didn't really speak a lot of English, and it seemed to speak a lot of Spanish. <laughs> so eventually we got some food. I'm not sure it was what we were really looking for, but it was food. Uh, but we had this sense of, of, of that, that dislocation, that I don't really fit. I feel foreign because I don't understand. Now, we don't have that so often if you mostly live in the country you're from. And maybe you have to go on holiday and struggle with language to realise it. But we should do, because this is no longer where we're from. We're citizens of another place. When you feel like you don't fit, you're right. My passport, I should have looked, because I'm going to make this up. This probably isn't exactly what it says, but it says something like, citizen of the United Kingdom, and has the Queen's signature or something on it. Um, and it, it's sort of a let's me go plate. Well, it's expired. I shouldn't let me go anywhere, but let's go with it. Um, it. Would let me go places. When I chose to follow Jesus, he took my passport that said citizen of the world. He chucked it in the fire and he said, come with me. I'll be your passport. A bit like if the queen literally walked with you, I, I don't think it actually works like this, but I assume she could kind of say, there with me, in you come. Which is kind of what your passport's saying. So Jesus says, you are with me in your coming. It belongs to my kingdom. We are living for another kingdom. We're living for another place. A little bit like Abraham. The, the first people in the Old Testament to follow God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says about him this. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Sounds good so far. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's a, a nomadic man who chooses to live in tents. He lived in a city, but he chose to leave, live in tents, because he had a vision of another city that he never actually got to experience before he died, because we're it. We, the church, are the city of God. And then, chapter later on, the writer of the Hebrews then makes this about the Christians that he's writing to, and so about us. Uh, chapter 13, verse 14. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We are supposed to be living for the city that is the church perfected that will descend from heaven when Jesus returns and wraps up the world and remakes it in his image and we live with him on the new earth delighting in him forever. That is the city of God that we are supposed to be living for. That is what Abraham dreamt of so much 4,000 years ago that he left the city of Ur of the Chaldees and went out and lived in tents. And then all of his descendants did until eventually they, they built a kingdom. But that's what they were waiting for. That's what they were living for. That's what we are living for. That's what we're citizens of. We are a nomadic people. Like Chris said earlier, like before he even really knew Jesus, he sent me on a journey. We're a nomadic people. Grace Church, when we first moved into this building, God spoke to us and said, you're nomads. You are a people that live in tents. And we were thinking, we just built, bought bricks. What are you talking about? But he was telling us, you need to be ready to go on the move. You shouldn't see this as having arrived or being static. You always need to be ready to move, whether that means literally or whether that's a kind of metaphorical thing. You should always be ready to move. Before that, when this church was first founded, God spoke about it being a church like the one in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, a church that raised up leaders and built teams around them and sent them to other cities to start churches like that one in Antioch, churches like the one that they were sent from. Churches where people were known about the fact that they were followers of Jesus because they talked about Jesus all the time. A church where people met him and had their lives changed. They were sent and found churches like that. That's what we understand our calling from God is. And we, therefore, some of us will have to go. Duncan and Hannah will eventually go to Manchester. Some of you will go with them. We should be thinking about, actually, it's God calling me to do that. There will be others in the future who go to other places to start churches like Grace Church. We should be ready to think, actually, should, should I go with them? It's God asking me to go. We put down roots where we are, but we are ready to go. Now, for you, that might not mean moving to a different city. I imagine probably it won't for most. It might mean moving to a different part of this city to deliberately live among a particular group of people in a particular area so that you can share what Jesus has done in your life with them. It might not mean physically moving at all, but instead not grasping onto what we have, not thinking of our stuff, of our homes, of the things we accumulate as being ours, but just things that pass through our hands. It might mean moving out of your comfort zone to follow Jesus. It might mean choosing to give away your time or your money to further the kingdom and his church. Going will mean different things for all of us, but we all have to go. Are you ready for that? Jesus says we're foreigners. We have no attachments. We're people who are ready to move when he calls. And actually, that's what three people have said this morning, is they put themselves in water, whether they realized it or not. They said, I'm following Jesus, which means I am ready to go. You know, and that, that changes our relationship with the world around us. 
It doesn't mean that we kind of have a bunker mentality where we think, oh my word, we're foreigners, this is a scary place. I think it would be really tempting for what these Christians in 1 Peter were facing, hide away amongst themselves and kind of look after each other. No, we live for the good of the city and we live ready to go. We have that freedom to live for the city and that freedom to go. In, um, in around 130 AD, so I don't know, what's that? 78 years after 1 Peter's written, about 100 years after Jesus, uh, an anonymous Christian wrote this to someone else to try and convince them, or well, this is part of what they wrote, to try and convince them of the truth of Christianity. I think it really sums up what I'm trying to get at, but better. Um, let me read it to you. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They begat children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. Or to put it as I did, we are free to live for the city, we're free to go. How are we free? Well, because we're fully in. Because we're chosen by God, we find that we are free. And how does that happen? Well, Jesus, as we heard earlier, moved from heaven to earth. He chose to become a foreigner. He chose to be exiled from his father to live among us on our behalf. So that our own exile, our own alienation from God... It could be fixed so that we could be invited with him to return. He experienced our exile and then he went further to the far country, to death itself, on our behalf so that we don't have to. So that instead of continuing away, he can bring us back to the Father. You know, what this looks like will be spelled out for us as we, as we go through the rest of 1 Peter, what living this way looks like. But today's question for you is, are you ready to go? What is your mindset? Do you know that you're a foreigner? Are you living differently from the world around you? Because you know you're fully in, are you living like you're fully out with the world, but yet in it for its own good? Are you ready to go and do what Jesus calls you to? Are you ready to go? Do you know that you're chosen?